a video version of this podcast, including slides, is available via the link in the description. Hello, my name's Dan Roberts, and I'm a director in the energy practice at Frontier Economics. The Florence School of Regulation has kindly asked me to present a short podcast on the issues around cross-border participation in capacity remuneration mechanisms around Europe. So, with thanks to the FSR for their invitation, over the next few minutes I'd like to give a brief overview of some of the key aspects of this issue, which we worked with the UK government on as they worked out how overseas capacity could participate in the GB auction mechanism. I'm going to try and cover five areas over the course of the podcast. First, deciding how much capacity should be allowed to participate in mechanisms from across borders. Second, thinking about whether capacity can participate in more than one national scheme. Thirdly, thinking about who should participate, generators or interconnectors. Fourthly, deciding what we as customers are actually paying for. And then finally, fifthly, thinking about cross-border cooperation across Europe. Let's first turn to how much cross-border capacity can participate. Now, within a national regime for a national generator with, say, a thousand megawatts of generation capacity, the answer to this question is fairly simple. They can provide a thousand megawatts of capacity unless they're on outage. And so in any national scheme, they should be allowed to participate up to their full capacity. At most, they should be derated to take account of the probability of them being offline when the country is experiencing a shortage of capacity, a so-called system stress condition. However, for a thousand megawatts interconnector, the situation is slightly less clear. If the interconnector is importing to the country, it can provide the same capacity as a thousand megawatt generator. But can it be relied upon to be importing? If it's exporting instead of adding capacity, <coughs> it will actually increase the need for additional capacity domestically. To estimate the contribution of interconnectors, we need to understand the probability of there being a system stress in both of the interconnected countries simultaneously. It's easiest to first think about the extremes of possible outcomes. Think of two countries which are never going to be in stress at the same time because their systems are just so uh, uncorrelated. An interconnector between them can contribute to system security for both. If one country is in stress and the other isn't, the likelihood is that the stressed country will have a high energy price. And if markets work properly, it should import power. On the other hand, think of two countries that will always be in stress at the same time an interconnector will not contribute to security in either. Now, obviously, the answer lies in the middle of those two extremes somewhere. That means that the contribution of a 1000 megawatt interconnector should be derated both on the probability of its own physical outage, but also on the probability of coincident stress. If the probability of coincident stress is high, it might be reasonable to assume a contribution significantly below 1,000 megawatts of rated capacity. 
On the other hand, if the probability of coincident stress is low, a contribution near the rated capacity is more likely to be okay. This logic also helps us with the second of our five areas, whether capacity can participate in capacity remuneration mechanisms in multiple countries. At first glance, allowing generators to participate in multiple mechanisms might seem like double counting. A generator sitting in the middle of France receives money for the French customer for contributing to French system security, and then also gets money, say, from the Spanish customer for contributing to system security there. But we need to ask ourselves the question whether that is really strange. Back to thinking about the probability of coincident stress. If France and Spain were never going to experience coincident stress, then our generator in France could very genuinely contribute to system security in both. And that's because when it was needed in Spain, it would not be needed in France and vice versa. So, provided the participation of cross-border capacity is derated properly according to the probability of coincident stress, then actually there's no reason not to allow installations to participate in multiple mechanisms. In fact, any prohibition on them doing so would under-reward potentially their contribution to system security. Indeed, this is an important benefit of an integrated European market. In Europe, we collectively have to build less infrastructure to meet demand than if we were a series of electrical islands, precisely because not everything across the continent will be perfectly correlated. Assessing the probability of coincident stress, however, is not a trivial undertaking. System stress events are thankfully very rare, and we've seen over time a significant change in the composition of the European power system with increased res penetration. As a result, looking at history is unlikely to help. Rather, statistical simulations of the resources and the demand drivers on European power grids is likely to be the best approach. On to our third question then. What should participate? Should it be generators or should it be interconnectors? The issue here is that if we apply a common sense approach, we need both. A generator in one country is not much use unless there's an interconnector linking us to it. And there's no point just having an interconnector unless there's something to produce the energy to flow over it. <clears throat> Knowing that, however, it's possible to design cross-border participation mechanisms with either generators or interconnectors participating. First, imagine generators are to participate. There needs to be some mechanism to limit the volume of capacity they can provide to the appropriately derated volume of interconnection because that's what determines how they can actually contribute to security. That mechanism could, for example, be an auction of rights to participate in the capacity mechanism. If the interconnection capacity is scarce, the auction price of those rights will be high and interconnector operators will capture the value, although that may then be redistributed by the regulation of those operators. Compare that to the situation where interconnectors participate. If they do, they will receive capacity payments directly and so the value will still flow to them. 
So the issue of participation is not really about who gets the value. That should always flow to the resource which is most scarce. It's more about practicality. Interconnector participation has the practical advantage that the entities participating in the national mechanism are directly connected to the national system. We know who they are, we have an existing relationship with them. With the generator participation, a question of scope immediately arises. For the French mechanism, it's quite clear that a generator in Germany could reasonably expect to participate. But what about one in Poland? What about one in Portugal? And what about one in Greece? It's undeniable that at some level, these generators contribute to French system security. But it's also clear that the generator in Germany contributes more directly than the one in Greece. If generators are to participate, a method for characterising the materiality of their contribution is required, if an arbitrary cut-off is not to be applied. And this makes an already complicated arrangement even more complex, before we worry about the political realities of convincing customers in France that paying a generator in Greece to provide system security is acceptable. Our fourth issue relates to a pretty fundamental question, what is it that we're actually paying for? If you look around capacity remuneration mechanisms in Europe, the answer actually appears to vary. In GB, for example, customers are paying for capacity to be available and to deliver at times of system stress. In other words, if generators receive capacity payments, they must generate when the system is tight or face a penalty. In contrast, in France, it's proposed that customers pay for availability only. A generator has to be available if they receive capacity payments, but they will not be penalised according to whether they generate or not at a particular time. In a cross-border regime, defining delivery is particularly challenging. Imagine for a moment we're in a generator participates regime. Being available might mean either being ready to run or even offering power into a specified market, even at a, if at a very high price. But in a delivery-based regime like that in GB, it's less clear what we mean. Delivering might mean generating power, but a generator in France generating will not guarantee a flow of power from France to GB. For this, we need the interconnector flow to be in the right direction. Whether this happens depends on the aggregate actions of all generation and load in the French market, and it also depends on markets working. If, for example, cross-border intraday markets are ineffective, we might need power in GB, but have no easy way of buying that power from French plant operators. If we rely on such markets and they fail, we might pay cross-border capacity only to find that it does not actually contribute when we need it. The same issues arise in an interconnector participates regime. Again, availability can be readily defined. The problems are with defining delivery. We can define this as a flow across the interconnector, but that's nothing that the interconnector operator can really control. All an interconnector can do is be available. A power line cannot create power flows. At most, it can go and contract with some generators in France to incentivise them to generate when the GB system is experiencing stress. 
If we're willing to have capacity remuneration mechanisms which work on the basis of availability only, then some of the cross-border issues clearly become simpler. But in doing so, we implicitly place a lot of faith in markets, in an area which we know can be intensely sensitive from a political viewpoint. If, on the other hand, we want to pay for delivery, we have to decide what we think that means. In particular, we have to think about the risks which our particular definition places on participants, be they interconnectors or generators. If we decide it means interconnector flows into the country, it means we're asking participants to commit to something over which they have little control. We need to think if they can bear such risks, or, more realistically, we need to think how much they will charge to bear such risks. So our final issue is one of coordination. Now, hundreds and thousands of person hours of work has been spent trying to make the internal electricity market a reality. The industry has written hundreds of pages of network codes and it's come up with hugely complicated algorithms to manage power flows, all to ensure that power demand in the Netherlands can be served just as well from a generator in Aachen as one in Amsterdam. The idea is that the cheapest resources get used to serve demand and that new investment takes place wherever it's cheapest to build, irrespective of where the final demand actually is. If we're to have capacity remuneration mechanisms, ideally they would result in similar outcomes. We would have coordinated markets in capacity. The need for capacity, the volume required, would be assessed on a regional basis. Bids to provide that capacity would then come from resources all around the region. And the cheapest bids out of all of those resources would be selected to receive payments. With a level playing field in other areas, this should ensure that the cheapest capacity provides for our system security. The only hitch is we're not there. We've got some countries with capacity mechanisms and some countries without them. Some of the mechanisms we see by availability, some, as we've already discussed, by delivery. Some mechanisms lock capacity payments for new plant into the long term, whereas others only provide short-term certainty for new plants. And there's no clear and consistent way for evaluating how much cross-border participation can support adequacy. And the result of all this? Well, major differences between countries, differences in the timing of incomes that generators can expect, differences in exposure to risk, differences in certainty of cash flow. And the risk is that it's those differences, rather than whether it's cheaper to build in one country or the other, which will actually end up driving the plant investment which we see going forward. At the time of recording this podcast, everybody is wondering how the EC's winter package will change this landscape. However, the political reality probably is that we're in a world of evolution rather than revolution, tearing up the multiple different mechanisms which exist today is not on the cards. Instead, we're into a world where different designs will need to evolve over time with the hope that progressively we end up with something which is more harmonised and delivers on the promise of the internal electricity market. The area of cross-border participation is, however, probably one of the least explored aspects of capacity mechanisms in Europe. 
regimes are really only just being put in place to deliver genuine regional participation. So with luck, we're therefore not too late and we will be in a position to ensure a greater level of harmonisation from the start.